You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we are staying in Luke, but kind of veering off a little bit to dive a little deeper and explore a little more into some of these concepts. So today's episode is based off of Sunday's sermon, The Kingdom and the Bride, and I think we had a really good discussion today, so hope you guys enjoy it. Up. <laughs> I was. I guess I wasn't we're, as ready as. <laughs> we're really great at getting this podcast Let's, kicked off uh, lately. Yeah. Our Let's last several started. have had very interesting. Have they? Beginnings. I block them out immediately. <laughs> so, which is likely what I'll do with this one. How are you? You know, I'm great because we are here, being able to talk about the Word of God and talk about the King who is returning, and we get to be so a part of His bride. Better, a lot and better. To be a part of the bride and to uh, have the role of representing and reflecting Christ in this world while we wait for his return just makes everything golden. Sounds like a good way to start every day. Uh, So with that in mind, you kind of segued into what we're talking about very smoothly. Uh, We are... Professional podcasting. That's us. sir. We are staying in Luke-ish. But mm-hmm. we are kind of doing... We're sort of hovering in Luke. Yeah, right we're just yeah. kind of looking at Luke from yeah. above. Um, we're kind of doing, I think that you, uh, in parentheses in the title this week, uh, an exploration. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I think is a good way to put it. So uh, while we're still kind of focusing in Luke, we're kind of digging in deeper to some of these concepts that he's, he's touching on and wants us to actually further understand. So, yeah, it, it seems kind of fitting with... Some of the confusion that we have, and I, I think we have a lot of confusion about basic concepts, things that, you know, it's, I think as we observe more of the confusion that we have in the evangelical church, uh, and, and even here in our own local church, um, it, it's causing me to reevaluate some things as far as how we do discipleship at real life, um, because there's so much of what is really basic to who we are that we just don't get. And so as we're, <clears throat> as we're working through Luke and we're in uh, chapter 19 and we, we see this repeated theme of the kingdom and the kingdom and the kingdom and, and um, Jesus has established himself as the Messiah, the, the promised king. And now as he's heading into Jerusalem, we see uh, the people kind of, you know, confused i guess you know thinking that as he gets here once once he walks into jerusalem that's it the kingdom is is coming Ooh, that and snap. that really popped in <laughs> <laughs> that the kingdom is is going to arrive in its fullness and rome will be overthrown and israel will be exalted and so on and so forth and he tells this parable as we looked at um previously about the ten minas and and the uh, the man of noble birth going away to be uh, made king and returning and settling accounts and judging those who rejected his kingship and so on. And as as he's doing this, this is the last parable, the last thing we get before he goes into Jerusalem. So the very next scene is Jesus entering Jerusalem on the donkey. We celebrate that on Palm Sunday. And the people are recognizing him as king. They're actually calling him king. Now, they don't get it. They don't, right. you know, and, and he clarifies in this parable prior to them calling him king that yes but no this isn't the time this isn't it's the time for him to be recognized it's the time for 
uh, him to do the work that will save us. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so as he's going to Jerusalem, he knows that's what he's headed toward. They think he's headed, headed toward victory and glory and, right. and right. we're all going to be elevated through this. Well, we will all be elevated through this, but not in the way that they think. So as, uh, as we're getting into Jerusalem in this little gap between the two scenes of the parable and then, and then uh, the triumphal entry, as the NIV calls it, we, we should, I think, take a moment, pause, and take a look at what the difference is between the kingdom as they understand it, the kingdom as Christ understands it, because that's reality, and, and how that applies to us. And I've got a, um, a young friend who's uh, been spending a lot of time on social media talking about the kingdom, uh, and it, it has sort of a, a mentality of this almost like a magic formula that when you discover the secret of the kingdom, you'll have this, this authority to be able to you know, have all of your dreams come true kind of stuff. And I don't know that he intends to come across that way, but, but we get sort of that, you know, call it prosperity teaching that is a term that gets used a lot. But, but this idea that somehow now we, you know, have discovered the, the lost clue to key, manipulate right? reality. In fact, that term, the key, gets used a lot uh, in that, that thing. That's my nickname in high school. Actually. I'm sure it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So uh, as we're doing this, the, the idea of discovering the difference between and the, and the relationship between the church and the kingdom uh, seems pretty important. And then next week we'll talk about baptism for the same reason that as we're, as we're looking at the church, the, the idea of baptism is a very confusing point that has been a part of the church since its inception, and we need to clarify it. also helps that we're having a baptism service on the 28th here at, at Real Life, so Imagine we want to... Yeah, we want to make sure that everybody's clear and, and we're all on the same page. It also, um, I think, is a worthwhile thing for us to talk about anytime, but at this particular juncture, because since we've changed locations and, and come into this new building to us that's old to the community, we've had uh, a number of people that maybe are from different backgrounds right. than normal. Uh, normally at Real Life, we have folks who have been here for a while and folks who to a large extent, just are unchurched, haven't, haven't been a part of a church at all. So they're starting fresh. But we've got a lot of folks now who are coming who have a variety of different Christian backgrounds, and we need to kind of clarify uh, what we believe the Bible actually says about things like the church and the sacraments, as, as uh, the Catholic Church would call them. We would call them ordinances, but, uh, but that's for another time. Anyhow, as we're uh, working through this, we, we kind of focused in on Sunday on this idea that until Christ returns, his glory is revealed in his church. And so we, we kind of walked through the idea that we're, we are the church, and we've developed that lots of times, but, but as the church, we are not the fullness of the kingdom, but we are sort of the, the, the scout team of the kingdom. We are, we're here as ambassadors um, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we're here to represent him. It's our, our ministry of reconciliation mm -hmm. to call people to repentance while this time of grace is here because when the king returns, 
it's too late. The, the grace is no longer offered. There's no mercy to be had. It's only judgment for those who are opposed to him and reward for those who are already with him. There's no second chances at that point. Right. So he's given us this important, uh, this important job to do in the meantime. So I, I don't know if uh, you've received a lot of questions about it. I, I have a lot of things that I would like to say at some point. You? So I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> get it all through. So I was hoping that uh, some of the points... Nobody asks me questions, Rich. Perhaps Nobody I, asks me anything. Well, well, we'll see what we can do. Um, can I say one thing? <clears throat> please do. I have something to say. Um, I think from a starting point here, uh, what, what you spoke about earlier is the kind of scene that's being set here. Um, I think it's easy for us now when we have everything in front of us uh, to almost, I don't want to say scoff or, or think, well, they're dumb. When Jesus came into Jerusalem and they thought this was the kind of king he was going to sure. be. And obviously we know a different reality because that's what we have in front of us. Right. But let's not pretend that we wouldn't have been the same. Way. Well, absolutely. We have the benefit of hindsight. Right. We can look back on it and, and say, Oh yeah, we get it. And, and not we just have with this, the but writers. With literally like everything. And well, that's very true. You know, and we see that, you know, even in contemporary settings, we have this, this arrogance of youth that right. we think that everything that came before us clearly was blind and stupid. Well, sure, right. And so, you know, we... Even, in, I mean, the 80s, let's be honest, that was blind and stupid. Or brilliant and golden, but, you know, to each their own. Anyway, as we're working through... <laughs> children of the 90s. So, as we're... I was born in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And I was born in the 60s, so, you know, I'm, I'm clearly a Proceed. lot older. Now that you've completely distracted me from the topic, because that's so hard to do. Uh, as we're looking at how that that idea that you just mentioned plays out even if you look at if you watch the news and so on people are so quick to judge every previous generation right. how could anybody have ever thought the way they thought in 1961 or in 1861 or in 1761 i don't know why i picked 61 as the number but we just we can't comprehend it what in the world was luther thinking when he said well mm -hmm. until we actually put ourselves into the situation, we understand their context and the development of history to that point, then we really can't comprehend how anybody thinks any differently than we think. So it seems really obvious to us, but two generations down the road, they'll have no idea how we could have come to the conclusions we came to. But bringing it back to the church, that's not always necessarily a good thing because we can, we can look at this, and I feel like especially in the past... I don't know, 10 years or so, interpretations have been coming forward that are so different from what it seems like they have been oh, for yeah. millennia. Oh, <laughs> I would I would emphasize what you said and say it's almost never a good thing. And when, when we're when we find these new discoveries, new revelations, what we're really talking about is old heresies. There's nothing new. Right. So as we're understanding reality, reality hasn't changed. Our viewpoint has changed a lot of the time. So when we find the magic secret. We see something new in scripture that's not been discovered and taught in previous generations. We're discovering something that isn't there. The it's, reality it's of... It's scary when, the, when we're talking about the church and the church itself right. is starting to do that or yeah. has been doing that. And Well, at the risk of, of, of going too far in another direction, I, th I think this is part of the discussion. Because we haven't 
been grounded. We haven't mm -hmm. been deep in our understanding. And especially in the last, I would say, 60 years or so, for most folks in the church, most mainstream uh, church people, um, we have run away from any kind of doctrinal stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have entire denominations who once were founded on the Word of God, who then get to a place in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, unto today, uh, where they just want to pull back from anything. We just, well, let's just have unity at the expense of any kind and of doctrine. And it's funny because, you know, my generation and, and beyond, we think, how could these people think that way 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? And it's it's just like you said, the the, the word hasn't changed. Right. It's so that, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. Well, it's even more difficult now, I think. It's always been difficult. I think that's a, a, a dynamic that's never changed. But I think it's more of a challenge now for, if I can say, your generation, because I'm the old I'm guy here. I'm not a millennial. <clears throat> Anyhow, without getting into demographic numbers, the, the reality of it is we live in a post-Christian, post-modern society mm -hmm. where we question even the very existence of objective truth. Sure. And when we can hear when we can hear Congress people saying things like, well, it doesn't matter if what I said was accurate. I have moral truth on my side or moral accuracy on my side. Even if what I said has nothing to do with reality, if there's no truth to it. And, and we as a, a people are okay with that. We live in a world where the state of New York can celebrate, can light up their public buildings, their Capitol building, and, and have a huge celebration because they have uh, passed legislation to allow the killing of unborn children up to up to the point of birth. Have their gover governor actually talk about killing children after the point of birth, and nobody freaks out about it. And now that same state <laughs> is celebrating because they have banned, they've outlawed the horrible, brutal practice of declawing cats. Now, however you feel about declawing cats, the difference between taking away a cat's claws with anesthesia or without is not the same as killing a child. Okay. So we live in a world where the concept of reality and truth is so far from us that it's really hard for us to, to process anything logically. And, and I don't know how to, how to look at any of these things and not see Romans 1, uh, not to see Paul in, in numerous places talking about the idea of, of the darkening of our intellect because <coughs> of our sinfulness. So in Romans 1, he points out that, that we've suppressed the truth by our wickedness, by choosing the morality or lack thereof that we have chosen, by choosing to reject God, to absolutely reject the reality of who God is and how he interacts with the world that he created and with us whom he created, the fact that he even exists, we're going to argue against all of that stuff. We, we can't see things rightly then. We've taken away our, our intellectual ability to reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we like to put reason and religion as two opposite things. That's never been the case historically right. until now. And so now when we look at, at how things play out, uh, are the idea of faith and reason are they're seen as complete 
you know, opposites. They're, they're, they're enemies that fight against one another. That's never been the case in the history of the church. Reason and faith always went together, except for when we became apostate, when we moved away from things that the church had always taught. So the word of God is reality. The word of God is never illogical. It's mm-hmm. never inconsistent. But our approach to it often has been. And in a world now, to circle back, that is decidedly pro- post-Christian. When I say world, I don't mean global world as much as our, our society here. Uh, <clears throat> we are post-Christian in that we reject all things in the culture that have to do with our Christian heritage, even though our culture is entirely based on that Christian right. heritage. Western civilization is based on that. But we reject it all as horrible and terrible, and therefore we, we're, we're a terrible nation from a terrible civilization, and Christian church is terrible, all those kinds of things. And you couple that with a postmodern philosophy that says there is no truth, you know, the, no objective truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. I need to speak my speak reality. You know, that, that kind of stuff makes rational debate, rational consideration of concepts, free speech, makes all of that really uh, not functional. In, in the society. Ergo, the importance, circling back here, of the church. The church being, being what it needs to be. Well, and, and we've talked a, a fair amount in, in recent weeks about uh, just whether it's the LGBTQ agenda coming to the church or, or any number of issues along that line where we have decided to just kind of take a, a black Sharpie and cross out lines from our Bible and then lift out certain passages that we want to use for our own purposes. Without looking at the surrounding context. Right. And so as, as the church at large in America, we have far too often not been the church. We've, right. we're, we're the ones who are supposed to be holding out the light of life, holding out the truth and of God's word. Instead, it seems like more and more churches are just giving in. You know, there has never been a time, and I, I want to make sure that this is somewhere included in the conversation, there's never been a time when it was ever the Christian norm, when it was ever okay for the church to be hateful or bigoted toward people. Mm-hmm. That was never the norm. It was never okay. Not even during the, the transatlantic slave, slave trade. Those were things that were contrary to the orthodox teaching of the church. And even as those who held to orthodoxy became, became distorted in their views and even at times used scripture uh, to support harmful views that were not in any way Christian historically, those things, while we look at it as the norm at the time, that was an anomaly in the history of the church. Right. That was not the norm. Christianity has been a liberating force because the truth of God's word liberates. Where it got to be a problem was when we allowed our flesh, our own agendas to twist what the word of God said. So at that time, it twisted in one direction. At another time, it twisted in a different direction. Uh, it, at one point, it, it, it twists against Jewish people. Another point, it, it twists against black people or against women or against uh, people who sin in, in a particular direction, whatever that, that looks like. But that's never been the case. Jesus came to save sinners. That's us at whatever period in time that we decide to right. go this way or that that's way. That's right. Or this that's way or that not way. God's word. That's not 
Orthodox Christianity, that's not the norm. But when we allow that to be seen as the norm, mm-hmm. when we allow ourselves to fall into that same trap so that we begin to preach and teach and support things that are not in Scripture and we become like the world, then, like Jesus said, when the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? You throw it out in the street. It's worthless. When we stop functioning as the church, it, Jesus is pretty clear in the book of Revelation that the lampstand is removed, that our, our status as the church is removed when we don't function as the church. So let's talk about how the church needs to function. <laughs> so, you know, in the idea of the kingdom, uh, looking at, at Luke 17, a previous uh, couple of chapters when Jesus was talking about this idea that uh, the kingdom is not observable in the way the Pharisees were expecting it, and, and really not the way the crowds are expecting it. Uh, but as, as he explains that, he then turns to his disciples. He tells the Pharisees, the kingdom is here mm-hmm. amongst you. He tells his disciples, the kingdom is coming. <clears throat> so there are two different levels that we look at that. There's, and you know, we call that the now and the not yet, that, that it's inaugurated with his, with his first advent, with his presence on earth. Uh, and it's in the growth process now. But he is, just as he said in chapter 19, he is in a distant land receiving that coronation, to, that, right. that crown, to come back and reign and rule. So when that happens, then we have the fullness of it. So we are now in part of the kingdom. Mercy has been offered. Grace is offered. And we're in this uh, sort of precursor to the fullness of it. And yet because of the presence of Christ, the kingdom of God is here. There's a song that, that's out there, you know, everywhere the king is, there is the kingdom. That, that's the reality we're talking about. So the kingdom is now in the sense that Christ has come. Mm-hmm. It is not yet in the sense that Christ is returning to establish his fullness. Right. So with that in mind, the church exists in the present age, what, what is often referred to as the church age or the age of grace. It exists to represent and to reflect Christ in the world. So when we look at, at 2 Corinthians 3, um, you know, our memory verse last week was second corinthians three eighteen that that uh now we all with unveiled faces uh who with unveiled faces reflect the glory of god uh we are being transformed more and more into his likeness uh by the lord himself who is the spirit so our role as the church and this is reflected in in our local church's statement of purpose, it's all the same purpose. He gives us the purpose, but our, our wording of it reflects that particular verse that, that we exist to reflect the reality of Christ through relationships. Mm-hmm. So while we are in this world in the now, he has given us the, the privilege, the responsibility of removing the veil so that we can both see and reflect the one who is transforming us, the king who is returning. And then a couple chapters later, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that uh, because we know what it means to fear God, we understand the veil has been removed, as we saw in chapter 3. We can see things that the rest of the world can't see. Therefore, as we reflect him, we don't see things the same way. We don't look at other people from a worldly perspective. That's why the people are confused often uh, about what it means to, as, as people like to say, and it's kind of a buzz phrase now, so I don't really like to use it, but the idea of uh, 
hating the sin and loving the sinner. Mm-hmm. We don't get that in our world. But that's when we're able to see his face, we recognize sin can't be in his presence. And yet when we recognize his character and the fact that he came to seek and to save the lost, then we can't not love people. So we have to do all that we can to find these folks who are outside of the relationship with Christ, which is every single one of us. We're all dead until we come to him. And reveal that truth by reflecting Christ. So we represent him in the world as his ambassadors, Second Corinthians 5.20. So we have this ministry of reconciliation. We're calling the world to be reconciled to God. And if we connect that with what we see in Luke, before it's too late, because it will be too late. So now is the time. Let's, let's get passionate about bringing people into his church. Mm-hmm. And the church is all those who are, who are his. Right. Uh, it's the, the word that we translate church, uh, which isn't from, that word is from, a Gaelic thing, I think, uh, but but the word that we translate that is ecclesia. This means called out one. So those who have been called according to his purpose, who are brought into this family, the picture of who we are uh, is that the people in the family of God is here to bring more people into the family of God. That's why we're here, so that we can represent him as ambassadors in this foreign land. And then if we are representing him and reflecting him, then we have the role of revealing now what the kingdom will perfect later. So the salt and light aspect of, of Christians in the world is the, uh, I want to say stabilizing force, and yes, that, but more than that, it's the life-giving force in the world. The Holy Spirit's presence in his church is what brings light and life to a dark world. And we are here to be a foretaste of what the kingdom will bring in perfection later. So when he comes and the, the, the new heavens, new earth, direct reign of Christ is established, there will be no more sin, no more sadness, no more shame, no more crime, no more cancer, none of those things. And all of what the church is here to, to foreshadow or to reveal now will be perfected later at that time <clears throat> that's good because it's certainly not perfected right now <laughs> i right, was just yeah. gonna say that seems like an exponentially important job for the church that we're really failing at as a whole <laughs> well yeah and, that, and that's why i think it was really important for us to, to take <laughs> right, a minute to talk right. about this because when we understand christianity is an individual thing we've missed what the bible teaches right. and i think we've been teaching that for most of my lifetime that you know this idea that my relationship i have my own relationship with god right i don't need church right. you know it's just i I just, it's a personal faith. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of that that's true right. in the same way that my citizenship in the United States of America is a personal citizenship. Nobody does that for me. That's, a, I am the citizen. Therefore, I have a vote and I have rights. But I only have those things as part of a whole, as part of a, a greater nation. The, the church is the same idea. Um, and, and the family is a good picture of that as well. We all have individual brains and do different things within the family, but we are one family. We, right. we're, we're not all plugged into one mainframe. We are individuals who make up a body, just like the members of our body. And Paul uses that illustration mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times, but most notably in First um, Corinthians 12, when he talks about how, how the gifts of individual members play together, 
And rather than thinking of ourselves as individuals so that we either are proud of our gift or jealous of someone else's gift because our focus is on us as individuals, we need to recognize that we're all one body. So whether you're the tongue, the, the eyebrow, the finger, the toe, we're all part of the same thing. And, you know, he, he really we develops We all fruits. I'm <laughs> a big fat Greek one. <laughs> there you go. Um, so... Nobody gets that reference. <laughs> I think a lot of people get that reference. I personally have actually not seen that movie, believe it or not. My wife keeps telling me I need to. It's a good one. Anyhow, when we see how the church reveals his glory, we do it we do it together. So there are ways in which we can individually reflect Christ and we're called to that because if we don't individually reflect Christ, then we can't reflect him as a body. Right. But much of what we do in revealing his glory in this intervening time we must do together it has to be together because for i can't do it in the same way that you can and vice versa right that and some of it requires the whole so well, being yeah. committed to a local church puts us in a position where we that's the only place we're able to show love in the same way so like okay you know yeah. in my family i you know i have a choice to love them and also there's a there's a commitment to love them mm -hmm. when they're unlovable. That same picture is in the church. I can talk about loving people in this theoretical concept. I can love people all around the world. Love, 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 love. We, lo we love love. That's great. But until the rubber meets the road where I'm committed to you as a part of this family, we are the church in very much the same idea as the family. Right. We are one flesh. Right. Now, I'm committed to you. And when you're a knucklehead, when you're a jerk, I'm still committed to you. And when I'm a knucklehead and I'm a jerk, you're still committed to me. Not that that ever happens. That kind of love is, is how we reveal God's glory. Okay. We can't do that without one another. And we can't do that as, as rogue agents out here on our own representing Christ. There's a difference between you know, a, a, a spy and a soldier. Yeah. And, and we're together as a unit to, to do that. So we, we reveal him through our salvation as, as he has saved us. Our reflection of that, the fact that he's given us mercy, is uh, one of the key ways that we do that, both individually and together, that he has saved individuals, but he saved us into his church, so he's preserved and saved a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own special possession, that we might declare the praises of the one who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that was our memory verse this week for, uh, from 1 Peter 2.9. My daughter was just working on that this morning. So as, as we see that development, our salvation is both individual and collective as a church. And God is always, when we look through all the Old Testament and all the New Testament, how God has interacted with his people has always been both individual and collective, mm -hmm. and he works with us that way. So we had seen in the parable that uh, Christ reveals his glory through the church in our faithfulness, not so much how skilled we are, and he talked about the servants who were faithful in their work as opposed to the one who was not. Mm -hmm. uh, the level of return was not the issue. The fact that you were faithful in doing what, what the master called you to do, that is what was rewarded. And that is exactly how we, how we reveal his glory through the church. Um, talk about our holiness, the, the holiness of the people of God, of the individuals making up the people. So he's, he has a bride, and Ephesians 5 talks about the, 
the illustration in marriage of a husband and wife and the wife playing the role of the church and the husband playing the role of Christ and the husband's job is to be responsible for the spiritual development and, and every other aspect of his bride, of his wife, so that we have a picture of Christ preserving, protecting, serving, loving his bride, the church, mm -hmm. so that he can present her to himself as a glorious, radiant bride. That picture of love and passion from Christ for his church it involves not just individuals, but us collectively as a body. Um, we talked about uh, revealing his glory through our perseverance as we endure hardship, as we suffer along with him, in our testimony, as we uh, tell others and show others the reality of, of Christ in our lives, um, in, and in our doctrine. That's a big thing. We talked about that earlier. That's why we have to teach these right. things. If we don't have the teaching of God, then we can't have the glory of God revealed in us because we're, we're off doing something else, doing our own thing. And so when, uh, when Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4, he links unity and doctrine together, that we grow up into him who is the head as we grow in our doctrine. When he talks about it, growing into unity in the faith, we become unified in the doctrine, in the wrestling with that and coming coming to a place as we mature, not that we all agree on every point, but uh, I think Sunday I used the illustration of like climbing a pyramid, that at the beginning we're far apart. Mm -hmm. And as we get closer to the peak, closer to the head, we grow closer to one another. The same thing happens as we study doctrine, as we learn the scriptures and how this all relates, all of our differences become closer together as we get closer to Christ. So when we all reach fullness in Christ, then we will all find unity in Christ as well. In the meantime, we're working toward that, but it involves wrestling with doctrine so that we can have the unity that he's called us to. And that's a, a pretty big deal. Well, we've gone a little bit over time here, but I think there was a lot to uh, get into here and we could probably talk for another half Yeah, hour, we could but, do three more But somebody's trying to talk to you on Facebook, so... Uh, yeah. Mr. Popular over here. It's not your mom because she'd be on the podcast. <laughs> so don't call her out. Uh, so what are we talking about on Friday or slash next week? If we're, if we're still venturing or ex exploring Luke further. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll continue in the concept of the church and we'll look at the idea of baptism. baptism. All yeah. right. So stay tuned for that and we'll catch you guys later. <laughs>